Bow down before the one you serve. You're gonna get what you deserve. Do you think Head Like a Hole could, in its own way, be kind of like a, a recovery anthem in a dark way? Yeah. You know, it's like giving yourself away to a higher power. Yeah. You know, but Bow also... Down before. You have to get on your knees and pray. Yeah. Man. Uh, but also, you know, you can't take... Like, it's a little more dommy than you yeah. would want with God. I, but or, your higher, or your higher power. But isn't part of the, the recovery thing getting dommed by a higher, getting higher power? By <laughs> getting topped what by God. What is religion if not getting topped by God? Yes. Uh, um, no, that's what a, what a way to start. I'd rather die than give you control. That could be about the substance, you know? True. Oh, yeah. I guess it's maybe more about the, um, oh God, what do they call him? The guy, you know, the... Um, the guy was always hanging out outside. The hat man. Not the no, that's a different guy. <laughs> Although it's it's similar though. Yes. Um, you know, like Don's vision of the guy yeah. with the smiley face yeah, and the Grim Reaper, and he's always that, is that figure ever named like the attendant something out there. Fuck. The I, I, there, there's definitely a guy, but what, yes. it, there's a name, but I hello, forget. Sorry. welcome to Infinite Cast. Mm-hmm. Uh, we continue our um inadvertent fake out in the uh, very final stages of this of uh, being delayed with eps due to our travels uh, making it seem like we are giving up this project with uh, you know with 99 at 99% completion that'd be crazy for us to do that but we won't Uh, but we are traveling again we are out here on the west coast Uh, how many cities has this podcast been recorded in at at least 10 continents several countries yeah uh it's it's been a journey man yeah uh any other bants before we start not really let's get into it all right let's get into it let's go all right we're we're in a different place now for a little bit the man's pants crease was gone at the knee and his carton top coat looked slept in it was good of you to grant me an easement (laughs) pat m tried to recross her legs and shrugged you said you weren't here professionally Good of you to believe me. I'll try to give him like a deep voice. The assistant district attorney for Suffolk County's fourth circuit up near up on the near North shores hat was a good dress Stetson with a feather in the band. He held it up. Talk about the man with the hat. He's here. The hat man. Hat man's here. He held it up in his lap by the brim and slowly rotated it by moving his fingers along the brim. He'd recrossed his legs twice. We met you and Mars at the Marblehead Regatta for the McDonald's house thing for children. Not this summer, but either the some... I know who you are. Pat's husband wasn't a celebrity, but knew a lot of local celebrities from the mint-reconditioned sports car upscale network around Boston. Well, it's good of you. I'm here about one of your residents. But not professionally, Pat said. It wasn't a question or verification. She was cool steel when it came to protecting the residents and house. Then back home in her own home, she was a shattered husk of a wreck. <laughs> Frankly, I'm not sure why I am here. You're just down the hill from the hospital. I've been up at St. Elizabeth's off and on for three days. Perhaps I simply need, uh, perhaps I need to simply air this. The fifth district boys, the PDs, speak well of the place, your house here. Perhaps I need simply to share this, to work up the nerve. My sponsor's no help. He simply said, do it if you want to have any hope of things getting better. Anything less than a combination thoroughgoing professional and AA longtimer would have at least hiked an eyebrow at one of the most powerful and remorseless constables in three counties saying sponsor. It's phobe comp anon, the ADA said. I went through choices, which takes us to endnote 383, Winter Park, Florida facility for enmeshment, codependency, and compulsivity related issues. Back to the text. Uh, Last winter and have been working a program of recovery in phobe comp anon a day at a time to the best of my ability ever since then. I see. It's tooty, the ADA says. He did a pause with his eyes closed and then smiled, still with his eyes closed. It is rather me and my enmeshment issues with Tootie's condition. This is referring to his wife. Yes. Phobe Companon was a decade-old 12-step splinter from Al-Anon for codependency issues surrounding loved ones who were cripplingly phobic or compulsive or both. It's a long story and not a particularly interesting one, I'm sure, the ADA said. Suffice to say that Tootie's been in torment over some oral dental hygienic violation issues that have their roots, we're discovering, in some issues from a childhood whose dysfunctionality we, well, she'd been in denial about for quite some time. It doesn't matter what. My program's my own. 
the hiding the car keys, the cutting off her credit with different dentists, the checking the wastebaskets for new brush wrappers five times an hour, my unmanageability is my own and I'm doing what I can day by day to let go and detach with love. Oh, yes, this person. Don. From the toothbrush in the ass. Yeah, Don broke into their house after he nabbed him for some robbery uh, and they didn't rob anything. And then they sent photos of the toothbrush up the asshole, sending uh, the, wife, the ADA's wife into a compulsive to, spiral. Yes. Which now her husband, the hat man, is uh, in a program for. I'm working nine now. Pat said the ninth step. The ADA reversed the hat's rotation by moving his fingers in the opposite direction along the brim. I'm trying to make direct amends to who, whosoever my fourth and eighth step works revealed I've harmed, except in cases where to do so would injure them or others. A tiny spiritual slip from Pat in the form of a patronizing smile. I have a nodding acquaintance with nine myself. <laughs> the ADA was barely there, his eyes fixed and dilated. The remorselessly ingathered eyebrow angle Pat had always seen in his photos was completely reversed. The brows now formed a little peaked roof of pathos. One of your residents, he said, a Mr. Gately, court remanded out of the Fifth Circuit, Peabody, I believe, or staff counselor, alumni, some status. Pat made a kind of exaggerated, innocent, trying to place the name typeface. The ADA said, it doesn't matter. I'm aware of your constraints. I want nothing from you on him. It's him I've been up at St. Elizabeth's to see. Pat allowed herself one slightly flared nostril at this news. The ADA leaned forward, hat rotating between his calves, elbows on knees in the odd defecatory posture men use to try to communicate earnestness in their sharing. <laughs> I'm told I owe the... Defecatory. <laughs> Mr. Gately, an amend. I need to make an amend to Mr. Gately. <laughs> he looked up. You too, this remains within these walls, as if it were my anonymity, all right? Yes. It doesn't matter what for. I blamed the, I've harbored a resentment against this gately concerning an incident I'd considered responsible for making Tootie's phobia reflare. It doesn't matter the specifics or his culpability or exposure to prosecution in the incident. I've come to believe these don't matter. I've harbored this resentment. The kid's picture has been up on my priority board with the pictures of far more objectively important threats to the public wheel. I've been biding my time, waiting to get him. This latest incident, no, don't say it, you needn't say a thing, seemed like just the opening. My last chance went federal and then fizzled. Mm. Pat allowed herself a very slightly puzzled forehead. The man waved the hat. It doesn't matter. I've hated, hated this man. <laughs> you know that Enfield, Suffolk County, this incident with the Canadian assault, the alleged firearm, the witnesses who can't depose because of their own exposure, my sponsor, my entire group, they say if I act on the resentment, I'm doomed. I'll get no relief. It won't help Tootie. Tootie's lips will still be white pulp from the peroxide, her enamel in tatters from the constant irrational brushing and brushing and brushing and... He clamped his fine, clean hand over his mouth and produced a high-pitched noise that frankly gave Pat the howlers, his right eyelid twitching. <laughs> he took several breaths. I need to let it go. I've come to believe that not just the prosecution, that's the easy part. I've already tossed the file, though whatever civil liability the Mr. Gately might face is another matter, not my concern. It's so damnably ironic. The man's going to two-step out of, at the very least, a probation violation and prosecution on all his old, highly convictable charges because I have to pitch the case for the sake of my own recovery. I, who wanted nothing so much as to see this man locked down in a cell with some psychopathic cellmate for the rest of his natural life, who shook my fist at the ceiling and vowed. And again the noise, this time muffled by the fine hat, and so less well muffled, his shoes pounding a little on the carpet in rage, so that Pat's dogs raised their heads and looked quizzically at him, and the epileptic one had a very small loud noise seizure. <laughs> I hear you saying this is very hard, but you've decided what you need to do. Worse, the ADA said, blotting his brow with an unfolded handkerchief. 
I have to make an amend, my sponsor said. If I want the growth that promises real relief, I have to make direct amends, put out my hand and say that I'm sorry and ask the man's forgiveness for my own failure to forgive. This is the only way I'll be able to forgive him. And I can't detach with love from Tutti's phobic compulsion until I've forgiven the, the man I've blamed in my heart. Pat looked him in the eye. Of course, I can't say I've tossed the Canadian case's file. I needn't go that far, they say. That would expose me to conflict of interest, the irony, and could hurt Tootie if my position's threatened. I've been told I can simply let him simmer on that until time passes and nothing moves forward. He raised his own eyes. Which means you cannot tell anyone either. Declining to prosecute for personal spiritual reasons, the office... It would be hard for others to understand. This is why I've come to you in explicit confidence. I hear your request and I'll honor it. But listen, I can't do it. Cannot. I've sat outside that hospital room saying the serenity prayer over and over and praying for willingness and thinking of my own spiritual interests and believing this amend is my higher power's will for my own growth and I haven't been able to go in. I go and I sit paralyzed outside the room for several hours and drive home and pry tootie away from the sink. I can't go on. I have to look that rotten. No, evil. I'm convinced in my heart that son of a bitch is evil and deserves to be removed from the community. I have to walk in there and extend my hand and tell him I've wished him ill and blamed him and ask for forgiveness. Him. If you knew what sick, twisted, sadistically evil and sick thing he did to us, to her, and ask him for forgiveness. Whether he forgives or not is not the issue. It's my own side of the street I need to clean. It sounds very, very hard, Pat said. <laughs> The fine hat was almost spinning between the man's calves, the pant cuffs of which had been pulled up in the defecatory forward lean to reveal socks that weren't, it seemed, both quite the same texture of wool. The mismatched socks spoke to Pat's heart more than anything else. I don't even know why I came here, he said. I couldn't simply leave again and drive home. Yesterday, she'd been at her tongue with one of those old no-coat lingua scraper appliances until it bled. Oh. I can't go home and look on that again without having cleaned house. I hear you. So gross. I know. <laughs> and you were just down the hill. I understand. I don't expect help or counsel. I already believe I have to do it. I've accepted the injunction to do it. I believe I have no choice, but I can't do it. I haven't been able to do it. Willing, maybe. Haven't been willing yet. I wish to emphasize yet. That's the end of that. <laughs> so he was uh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> imagine the sound yeah. it's like that sound that emerald makes when he's stirring <laughs> um so he was hanging out at the the hatman's house. been there but not for the reason dom, dom thinks. thinks yes he thinks that he's gonna take him in and he's trying to forgive him yes even though he clearly doesn't want to but that's the point he must. program he must. Yes. he must he must all right 20th November, Year of the Dependent Adult Undergarment, immediately pre-fundraiser exhibition FET, Godiemus Editor. Usually, part of the experience of having the place you live in throw a gala is watching different people arrive for the festivities. The Warshavers, the Gartens, and Peltasons, and Prines, the Chins, the Middlebrooks and Gelbs, an incidental Lowell, the Buckmans and their claret-covered Volvo driven by their silent grown son who you never see except when he's driving Kirk and Binny Buckman someplace, Dr. Hickle and his creepy niece, the Chawafs and Heavens, the Rehagens, the palsied and mega-wealthy Mrs. Warshaver with her pair of designer canes, the Donegan brothers from Svelte Nail, but usually we never get to see them arriving, the friends and patrons of ETA, for the fundraising exhibition and gala. Usually while they're arriving and getting greeted by Tavis, we're all down in the lockers, dressing and stretching, getting ready to exhibit, getting <laughs> taped, uh, shaved and taped by Loach, etc., it must usually be an unusual occasion for the guests, too, because for the first few hours, they're there to watch us play. They're all audience. Then at some point with the last couple matches winding down, the guys in white jackets with trays start appearing in ComAd, and the gala starts, and then it's the guests who become the participants and performers. Gauzing and stretching, wrapping grips with gauze techs, or filling a pouch with Fuller's Earth, that's Coils, Freer, Stice, and Traub, or Sawdust, Wagonect, Chew, 
getting taped, those in puberty getting shaved and taped, a ritual. Even the conversation, usually, such as it is, has a timeless ceremonial aspect. John Wayne hunched as always on the bench before his locker with his towel like a hood over his head, running a coin back and forth over the backs of his fingers. Shaw pinching the flesh between his thumb and first finger, acupressure for a headache. Everyone had gone into their, like, autopilot ritual. Postlethwaite's sneakers were pigeon-toed under a stall door. Khan was trying to spin a tennis ball on his finger like a basketball. At the sink, Elliot Cornspan was blowing out his sinuses with hot water. No one else was anywhere near the sink. A certain number of hysterical pre-competition rumors about the Quebec junior team and the severity of the weather circulated and were refuted and shifted antigens and returned. You could hear the high register end of the wind even down here. Oh my God. The Sixzent Milhali kid was doing a kind of piaffer in place, his knees hitting his chest, stretching his hip flexors out. Trolch sat up against his locker near Wayne, wearing a disconnected headset and broadcasting his own match in advance. There were fart accusations and denials. <laughs> Raider snapped a towel at Vagonect, who liked to stand for long periods of time bent at the waist with his head against his knees. Arslanian sat very still in a corner, blindfolded in what was either uh, an ascot or very fey necktie, his head cocked in the attitude of the blind. It was clear what, unclear whether B-squads would even get to play. No one was sure how many courts the MIT union had inside. <laughs> Rumors flew this way and that. Michael Pemulus was nowhere to be seen since early this a.m., at which time Anton Doucette said he'd seen Pemulus, quote, lurking out by the West House dumpsters, looking, quote, anxiously depressed. <laughs> then a small but univocal cheer went up from some of the players when Otis P. Lord appeared at the door, his cadaverous dad escorting him, OPL out of post-op and pale, but looking his old self, with just a thin little choker width bandage of gauze around his neck from the monitor's removal and an odd ellipse of dry red skin around his mouth and nostrils. He came in and shook a few hands and used the stall next to postal weight and left. He wasn't playing today. <laughs> J.L. Strzok was, an apply was applying an astringent to areas of his jaw. A hysterical rumor that the Quebec players had been spotted coming down a ramp out of a charter bus in the main lot and were by all appearances not the Quebec JDC and WC squads, but some sort of special Olympicish Quebec adult wheelchair tennis contingent. This flew, rumor flew wildly around the locker room and then died out when a couple of the sub-14s who burned nervous energy by scampering around checking rumors scampered out and up the stairs to check the rumor and failed to return. <laughs> Across the wall on the female side, we could easily hear Thode and Donnie Stott invoking Camilla, goddess of speed and light step. Thode had had a hysterical tantrum after breakfast because Potrincourt hadn't showed for the female's pre-match staff thing and looked to be AWOL. Loach et al. had outfitted Ted Schacht with a complex knee brace with jointed aluminum struts down both sides and a coin-sized hole in the elastic over the kneecap for dermal ventilation, and Schacht was lumbering around between the stalls and the locker with his arms straight out and his weight on his heels pretending to walk like Frankenstein. Several people talked to themselves at their lockers. Barry Loach was down on one knee shaving Hal's left ankle for tape. A couple of us remarked how Hal wasn't eating the usual customary Snickers bar or Amino Pal. Hal had his hands on Loach's shoulders as the tape went on. A match wrap is two horizontal layers just above the malleolus knob thing, then straight down and four times around the tarsus just in front of the joint, so there's a big gap for flexion of the joint, but a compacting and supportive wrap. Then Loach puts a liner sock and a wick sock over the tape, then slides on the little inflatable air cast deal and pumps it to the right pressure, checking with a little gauge, and Velcros it just tight enough for support, plus max flexion. Hal was on the bench with his hands on Loach's shoulders through the whole little routine. Everybody's had his hands on Loach's shoulders at one time or another. Hal's shave and wrap takes four minutes. Shaq's knee and Fran Unwin's hamstring thing each take over ten. Wayne's quarter looked like it was dancing on his knuckles. Because of the towel over his head, all you could see was a very thin oval section of his face, like an almond on its end. <laughs> Wayne got to have a small disc player in his locker, and Joni Mitchell player was playing, which nobody ever minded because he kept it very low. Uh, Stice was blowing a purple bubble. Freer was trying to touch his toes. Traub and Whale, also on the rap bench, later said Hal was being weird. 
Like they said, asking Loach if the pre-match locker room ever gave him a weird feeling, occluded, electric, as if all this had been done and said so many times before it made you feel it was recorded. They all in here existed basically as four-year transforms of postures and little routines, <laughs> locked down and stored and call-upable for rebroadcast at specific times. What Trow, uh, what Trab heard as Fourier transforms, Whale heard as Fourier transforms, but also as a consequence, erasable, Hal had said. By whom? Hal, before a match, usually had a wide-eyed, ingenuish anxiety of someone who'd never been in a situation even remotely like this before. His face today had assumed, ver assumed various expressions ranging from distended hilarity to scrunched grimace, expressions that seemed unconnected to anything that was going on. The word was that Tavis and Stitt had chartered three buses to take the squads to an indoor venue. Mrs. Inc. had had, had alumnus Corbett Thorpe, T.H. Thorpe, call in mammoth favors to arrange several mostly unused courts somewhere in the deep brain tissue of the MIT Student Union, and that the whole gala would be moved over to the Student Union and that the Quebec team and most of the guests were being contacted by Cellular about the cancellation of the previous cancellation and the change in venue, and that those guests who didn't hear about the change would ride in the buses with the players and staff, some of them in formal ev and evening wear, probably, the guests. Traub also says he heard uh, also heard Hal use the word moribund, but Whale <laughs> couldn't confirm. Shaq entered a stall and drove the latch home with a certain purposeful sound that produced that momentary gunslinger enters saloon type hush throughout the locker room. Oh, because he's uh, he's got Crohn's and he's, you know, oh, God, <laughs> it's about it's about to be it's about to smell crazy in there. Uh, nobody in the vicinity could say they heard Barry Loach respond one way or another to any of the strange moody things Hal was saying as Loach locked down the ankle for high level play. Wagenacht apparently really did fart. The consensus among ETAs is that head trainer Barry Loach resembles a wingless fly, blunt and scuttly, etc. One ETA tradition consists of big buddies recounting to new or very young little buddies the saga of Loach and how he ended up as an elite head trainer, even though he doesn't have an official degree in training or whatever from Boston College, which is where he'd gone to school. In outline form, the saga goes that Loach grew up as the youngest child of an enormous Catholic family, the parents of which were staunch Catholics of the old school of extremely staunch Catholicism, and that Mrs. Loach, as in the mom's, life's most fervent wish was that one of her countless children would enter the RC clergy, but that the eldest Loach boy had done a two-year USN bit and had gotten demapped early on in the Brazilian Onin slash UN joint action of YTMP, and that within weeks of the wake, the next oldest loach boy had died of sequitoxic food poisoning, eating tainted blackfin grouper. <laughs> and the next oldest loach, Therese, through a series of adolescent misadventures, had ended up in Atlantic City, New Jersey, as one of the women in sequined leotards and high heels who carries a large poster board cardboard uh, with the round number on it around the ring between rounds of professional fights so that hopes for Therese becoming a Carmelite dimmed considerably and on down the line, one loach falling helplessly in love and marrying right out of high school, another burning only to play the cymbals with a first-rate first -rate philharmonic now crashing away with a Houston P.O. and so on until there was just one other loach child and then Barry Loach who was the youngest and also totally under Mrs. L's thumb emotionally. And that young Barry had breathed a huge sigh of relief when his older brother, always a pious and contemplative and big-hearted kid, brimming over with abstract love and an innate faith in the indwelling goodness of all men's souls, began to show true evidence of a true spiritual call. Uh, sorry, began to show evidence of a true spiritual calling to a life of service in the R.C. clergy, and ultimately entered Jesuit seminary, removing an enormous weight from his younger brother's psyche, because young Barry, ever since he first slapped a band-aid on an X-Men figure, felt his true calling was not to the priesthood, but to the liniment and adhesive ministry of professional athletic training. <laughs> 
who finally can say the whys and whences of each man's true location. <laughs> can you read that again? <laughs> who finally can say the whys and whences of each man's true vocation? Who, who indeed. Who indeed. <laughs> oh, and then so Barry was a training major or whatever at BC and by all accounts proceeding satisfactorily toward a degree when his older brother quite far along toward getting ordained or frocked or whatever as a licensed <laughs> Jesuit suffered at age 25 a sudden and dire spiritual decline in which his basic faith in the innate indwelling goodness of men like spontaneously combusted and disappeared and for no apparent or dramatic reason it just seemed as if the brother had suddenly contracted a black misanthropic spiritual outlook the way some 25 year old men contract Sanger Brown's ataxia or MS sorry a kind of degenerative Lou Gehrig's disease of the spirit (laughs) (laughs) and his interest in serving man and God in man and nurturing the indwelling Christ in people (laughs) through Jesuitical pursuits underwent an understandable nosedive and he began to do nothing but sit in his dormitory room at St. John's Seminary right near Enfield Tennis Academy coincidentally on Foster Street in Brighton off Com Ave right by the Archdiocese HQ or whatever sitting there trying to pitch playing cards into a wastebasket in the middle of the floor, not going to classes or vespers or reading his hours and talking frankly about giving up the vocation altogether, which all had Mrs. Loach uh, just about prostrate with disappointment and had young Barry suddenly reweighted with dread and anxiety because if his brother bailed out of the clergy, it would be nearly irresistibly incumbent on Barry, the very last loach, to give up his true vocation of splints and flexion and enter seminary himself to keep his staunch and beloved mom from dying of disappointment. And so a series of personal interviews with the spiritually necrotic brother took place, Barry having to station himself on the other side of the playing cards wastebasket so is even to get the older brother's attention, trying to talk the brother down from the misanthropic spiritual ledge he was on. The spiritually ill brother was fairly cynical about Barry Loach's reasons for trying to talk him down, seeing as how both men knew that Barry's own career dreams were on the line here as well. Though the brother smiled sardonically and said he'd come to expect little better than self-interested number one looking out from human number one looking out from human beings anyway, since his practicum work out among the human flocks in some of Boston's nastier downtown venues. The impossibility of conditions changing, the ingratitude of the low-life, homeless, addicted, and mentally ill flocks he served, and the utter lack of compassion and basic help from the citizenry at large, all in in at large in all Jesuitical endeavors had killed whatever spark of inspired faith he'd had in the higher possibilities and perfectibility of man. So he opined, what should he expect but that his own little brother, no less than the coldest commuter passing the outstretched hands of the homeless and needy at Park Street Station, should be all too humanly concerned with nothing but the care and feeding of numero uno. Since a basic absence of empathy and compassion and taking the risk to reach out seemed to him now an ineluctable part of the human character, Barry Loach was understandably way out his depth on the theological turf of like apologia and and the redeemability of man, though he was able to relieve a slight hitch in the brother's toss that was stressing his card throwings arms, flexor carpi ulnaris muscle, and so to up the brother's card in wastebasket percentage significantly. But he was not only desperate to preserve his mother's dream and his own indirectly athletic ambitions at the same time, he was actually a rather spiritually upbeat guy who just didn't buy the brother's sudden despair at the apparent absence of compassion and warmth and in God's supposed self-mimetic and divine creation. And he managed to engage the brother in some rather heated and high-level debates on spirituality and the soul's potential. Not that much unlike Alyosha and Ivan's conversations in the good old brother's K, though probably not nearly as erudite and literary and nothing from the older brother even approaching the carcinogenic acerbity acerbity of Ivan's Grand Inquisitor scenario. Oh my God. In outline, it eventually boiled down to this. A desperate Barry Loach with Mrs. L now on 25 milligrams of daily Ativan, which takes us to end note 384, aka lorazepam, Wyeth Ahurst Labs, a venerable anti-anxiety trank of which 25 milligrams a day is enough to anxiolatize a good-sized Clydesdale. Back to the text. How are we doing on time? 
Uh, we're at 29 minutes. All right. Let me see if I can find perhaps the end of a paragraph. Uh, on 25 milligrams of daily Ativan and just about camped out in front of the candle lighting apps of the Loach's parish church, Loach challenges his brother to let him prove somehow, risking his own time, berries, and maybe safety somehow, that the basic human character wasn't as unempathetic and necrotic as the brother's present depressed condition, condition was leading him to think. After a few suggestions and rejections of bets to weigh out even for Barry Loach's desperation, the brothers finally settle on a, like, experimental challenge. The spiritually despondent brother basically challenges Barry Loach to not shower or change clothes for a while and make himself look homeless and disreputable and louse-ridden and uh, clearly in need of basic human charity and to stand out in front of the Park Street tea station on the edge of the Boston Common right alongside the rest of the downtown community's lumpen dregs who all usually stood there outside the tea station stemming change and for Barry Loach to hold out his unclean hand and instead of stemming change, simply ask passersby to touch him, just to touch him, viz. extend some basic human warmth and contact. And this Barry does and does. Days go by. His own spiritually upbeat constitution starts taking blows to the solar plexus. It's not clear whether the ver verminousness of his appearance had that much to do with it. It just turned out that standing there outside the station doors and holding out his hand and asking people to touch him ensured that just about the last thing any passerby in his right mind would want to do was touch him. It's possible that the respectable citizenry with their book bags and cellulars and dogs with little red sweater vests thought that sticking one's hand way out and crying, touch me, just touch me, please, was some kind of new stem type argo for lay some change on me because Barry Loach found himself hauling in a rather impressive daily total of money, significantly more than he was earning at his work-study job wrapping ankles and sterilizing dental prostheses for Boston College lacrosse players. Oh, God, mouth guards. Oh, God. The worst. Did I have to wear a mouth guard when I played lacrosse? I don't think I did. Well, there's no checking in ladies lacrosse. In theory, not, not if I have anything to do with it. <laughs> Citizens found his pitch apparently just touching enough to give him money, but B. Loach's brother, who often stood there in collarless mufti up against the plastic jam of the tea station exit, slouched and smirking and idly shuffling a deck of cards in his hands, was always quick to point out the spastic delicacy with which the patrons dropped change or dollars into Barry Loach's hand. These kind of bullwhip motions or jagged in and outs like they were trying to get something hot off a burner, never touching him, and they rarely broke stride or even made eye contact as they tossed alms BL's way, much less ever getting their hand anywhere close to contact with BL's disreputable hand. The brother not unreasonably nixed the accidental contact of one commuter who'd stumbled as he tried to toss a quarter and then let Barry break his fall, not to mention the bipolarly ill bag lady uh, who got Barry Loach in a... <laughs> in a headlock and tried to bite his ear off near the end of the third week of the challenge. Barry L. refused to concede defeat and misanthropy and the challenge dragged on week after week and the older brother got bored eventually and stopped coming and went back to his room and waited for the St. John's Seminary Administration to give him his walking papers and Barry Loach had to take incompletes in the semester's training courses and got canned from his work-study job for not showing up and he went through weeks and then months of virtual spiritual crisis as passerby after passerby interpreted his appeal for contact as a request for cash and substituted abstract loose change for genuine fleshly contact and some of the tea stations other disreputable stem artists became intrigued by Barry's pitch to say nothing of his net receipts and started themselves to take up the cry of touch me please please someone which of course further compromised Barry Loach's chances of getting some citizen to interpret his request literally and lay hands on him in a compassionate and human way and Loach's own soul began to sprout little fungal patches of necrotic rot and his upbeat view of the so-called normal and respectable human race began to undergo dark revision. The sentence is not even over. And when the other scuzzy and shunned <laughs> stem artist of the downtown district treated him as a compadre and spoke to him in a collegial way and offered him warming drinks from brown bagged bottles, he felt too disillusioned and coldly alone to be able to refuse and thus started to fall in with the absolute silt at the very bottom of the Metro Boston socioeconomic duck pond. What do you think? Should we stop here? Yes, we're about 34 minutes. Yeah, let's do it. Great. We have uh, just 10 pages left. Uh, yeah, this there's uh, there's like one more like page. Should we just kill it off? 
Yes. Yes. Yeah. Okay. J- just to so yeah. So we try to keep some clean segments. I promise I'll read fast. <laughs> oh, and then what happened with the spiritually infirm older brother and whither he fared and what happened with his vocation never gets resolved in the ETA Loach story because now the focus becomes all Loach and how he was close to forgetting after all these months of revulsion from citizens and his getting any kind of nurturing or empathic treatment only from homeless and addicted STEM artists. What a shower or washing machine or a ligamental manipulation even were, much less career ambitions or a basically upbeat view of indwelling human goodness. And in fact, Barry Loach was dangerously close to disappearing forever into the fringes and dregs of Metro Boston street life and spending his whole adult life homeless and louse ridden and stemming in the Boston Common and drinking out of brown paper bags. When along toward the end of the ninth month of the challenge, his appeal and actually also the appeals of the other dozen or so cynical stem artists right alongside Loach, all begging for one touch of a human hand and holding their hands out. When all these appeals were taken literally and responded to with a warm handshake, which only the more severely intoxicated stemmers didn't recoil from the proffer of, plus Loach, by ETA's own... Mario Incandenza. (laughs) Forgot about this. Who'd been sent dashing out from the Back Bay co-op where his father was filming something that involved actors dressing up as God and the devil playing poker with tarot cards for the soul of Cosgrove Watt (laughs) (laughs) using subway tokens as the ante. And Mario had been sent dashing out to get another roll of tokens from the nearest station, which because of a dumpster dumpster fire. Wow. It's weird to hear dumpster fire in a non um, ironic. Yes. Because of a dumpster fire near the entrance to the Arlington Street station turned out to be Park Street and Mario being alone and only 14 and largely clueless about anti-STEM defensive strategies outside T-stations had had no one worldly or adult along with him there to explain to him why the request of men with outstretched hands for a simple handshake or high five shouldn't automatically be honored and granted (laughs) and Mario had extended his claw like hand and touched and heartily shaken Loach's own for fuliginous hand which led (laughs) the fuck which led through a convoluted but kind of heartwarming and faith reaffirming series of circumstances to be loach even without an official ba being given an assistant trainer's job at eta a job he was promoted from just months later when the then head trainer suffered the terrible accident that resulted in all locks being taken off eta sauna's doors and the sauna's maximum temperature being hardwired down to no more than 50 50 degrees uh, s- Celsius. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about, I totally forgot about this story from when I read it the last time. <laughs> Mario. Oh my God. He's truly the only, the only good man. The only pure character. <laughs> Touch me. <laughs> okay. Okay. <laughs> Oh, God. Wow, that is like a biblical parable. It is like a biblical parable. I guess, you know, I've never read the brothers Karamazov. 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 Have you? No. Not assigned to me in school. Yeah. Uh, A bit too Russian, a bit too. Who knows? Maybe I would like it now. My dad used to be a voracious reader of all sorts of things, and he, you know, would plow through um, huge novels. He used to take when he he and my mom did like cross-country uh, well, if they were like flying from like mm. the East coast to the West coast, he would bring like three James Patterson novels on nice. and like finish them all. Nice. Um, in one plane flight, like a commercial fiction. And it was, guy. uh, somewhat part of, but it was part of dad lore that the one book that he picked up that he n- could never finish was the brothers care. Kar- That's funny because in his words, too many names. Yeah, you get you get the patronymic uh, Russian things, yeah. and it gets pretty. And of course, you got two guys, and they're both named Karamazov. So, two Karamazovs in this economy, in this economy, in Russian nineteenth century economy, more than one brother. Oh boy! So the Hat Man is not seeking punishment, but instead redemption. But he's having quite a hard time with it. Yes, I'm kind of picturing him as perhaps in our casting, uh, maybe a a quick Brian Cranston cameo. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, he's like, like a one a Boston, Cranston. a Boston guy wearing a Stetson, which yeah. is definitely he's funny. He's like a G man, you know. He's like the DA. Yeah, I'm sorry, I can't get over Mario and Condensa. <laughs> I love him so much. He's the best. 
Oh, yes. I mean, also something in there about, uh, you know, see- seeking human contact, but only being able to get money mo- uh, like financial tra- transactions. Yeah. I also love that because it's an ETA, you know, story that we literally don't know what happened. The spiritual conclusion of the older brother is and therefore Mrs. Loach is left on. Yes. Irrelevant. I- irrelevant. <laughs> you you picture him, you know, just waiting it out in the. I like that the whole little locker room scene as a just like a final triumphant run through of every single name we have every met in, the, in ETA and some of the ladies. Uh, but then also that that very palpable sense of like a big event come or that very recognizable sense of being in like high school or middle school or whatever and like mm. some kind of big event going on in your school and not really knowing what's going to happen because nobody bo- bothers to actually tell you. Yeah. And so everybody's trying to figure out, oh, I hear that blank, blank, blank is happening. Oh, I hear that the other team's not actually coming. And the way no, they're on wheelchairs? Take, like, buses to some other place? Yeah. It's, yeah, that's yeah. definitely, that's a vibe. Is yeah. the is mid, mid-school event confusion. Mm-hmm. Also, yeah, the, I'm just, uh, uh, school after hours or school at, you know, in like different, what I'm thinking of basically for my own experience is uh, when we had band con- concert band sure. uh, uh, performances. So you show up in a weird outfit late at night to school and everyone's nervous. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and yet not nervous at all because like the stakes are so low. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Ha- and how's acting fucking weird. Yes. He's clearly he doesn't feel like he's acting weird. He doesn't feel like he's acting weird, he's but he's getting he's he's getting existential with uh Barry yeah. Loach who, hey, uh being a trainer, you know, you've gotta work on ankles and hamstrings, but you're also perhaps receiving some spiritual, spiritual pra- confusion. The trainer is the priest of the athlete. The tra- yeah. Which lot you know, Lyle also pops in. Oh yeah. Wait, what li- what is Lyle's official job? He's not a trainer and he's lick, not a coach. Lick, liquor. Does he? He literally just Gu- chills. In, he's guru. I mean, I mean, maybe his uh, on the on the payroll. It's something like gym manager or something. So you have you have Barry Loach, who is like somewhere between a guru and a priest. Well, it also seems like it, his official job is like you know physical. Yeah, he's a he's a trainer. Like, yeah. Um, but then you have Sport, Lyle, who's a full like sports medicine sports, sports scientist. Medicine. Yeah. yeah. You have Lyle, who's like full guru. You have Pat M, who is somewhere between enforcer and confession hearer. Mm-hmm. It's really culminating in all the different ways that you can try to like have your spiritual, you know, yeah. th- assumptions confirmed. And you have fucking Mario, who's just willing to touch a homeless guy. Yes. What about Shtit? The the stern. He's the Prussian, fascist. The, yeah, the yeah, Prussian. He's, uh, the state is Sardinia. your god. Yes. You the rules. You can live yes. your entire he's life a, on the tennis uh, court. A stern Yunker commander. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of options. Yes, you can, different, and different you can also get so drunk that you don't have to care about it at all. Yes, I certainly don't. Uh, I don't end up thinking about God when I'm <laughs> drunk. <laughs> Only the next day. Well, oh, that's not very Irish of you did not think of no i'm all thinking is the good stories that i'm telling the and the songs good stories that you sing with friends the songs so that you the, sing with friends the songs that remind you of the good times the songs, the songs that, that remind, remind you of the, of the best times. times um getting knocked down and getting up again of course. those are the main things that yes. i'm thinking of <laughs> jolly camaraderie yes uh putting putting our arms around one another mm-hmm. making uh making instant friends in a night yes and then never talking to them again yes that's the Irish way. And I then waking up and feeling just, just broken up about it all. So is this theoretically our penultimate episode? I think next w- week, if we, if time serves us would be the last, um, would be the last real <laughs> episode. And it's going to kick off with a doozy. Yes. 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 We are within, we're like nine, oh, yeah. nine mm-hmm. pages out from uh, the end. Next one should be the last one. Oh my God. Well, I, I, you know, crazy. I can't believe we made it all the way there. I mean, I feel like we're going to need a whole, I feel like there's going to be some, a few episodes after we finish the text of general, like we might need to go back and read the first chapter again. Mm-hmm. We might need a full episode of just, I would like to devote discussion. a full episode to um, Aaron Schwartz's uh, interpretation of the ending. Aaron Schwartz, the, the, um, the, the, ha- the yeah, the internet guy. Killed himself. Yeah. He has he has a whole thing. He about published it. like on his blog a theory of the ending and the book that I like yeah, that, a lot. That sounds great. Yeah. 
Um, I know it's not, you know, listen, I'm, I'm, it's not the well, definitive. We use, we, I, I don't like to solve anything. Yeah. It's well, just no, a good way to, definitive. it's a good framework to discuss it. I do love a framework. Love a framework. Yes. Love ambiguity within a framework. Yes, 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 yes. Who can, who can say what the vocation, Chris, what's your vocation? Do you have one? Um, this is also what the book is about is finding a vocation. Is, well, you know, I, I like, I, what is the vocation? It is, it is making, making something that has a public audience in which I am affirmed by my, by my act of creation, by the consumption of a public. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's basically what my uh, vocation is. And it could be in many different ways, but as, as long as it is, I'm putting some kind of creative and technical effort into creating a, a thing that is then received by some kind of public, mm-hmm. hopefully in an appreciative way. Yeah. Not always. <laughs> this week of Chapo. This week of Chapo. Uh, might show. But you got to have the friction in order, you know, that makes the uh, Look, full acceptance and I, and uh, you I don't know, kudos spend, all the sweeter. I don't want to spend too much time t- talking about this Chapo episode. I very, very. Uh, it's on your mind. Talk about it. I, I very much um, resist. Never have I more actively avoided reading a comment section. But, you know, once every quarter or so, once every half year, there's a Chapo episode where that feels like uh that I know is going to be wildly controversial that we're going to get uh, in a lot of trouble for. Uh, but nonetheless, there are, I think that there are, um, you know, ideological reasons that we would uh, want to put it out. Uh, <laughs> and feels like just throwing a raw steak into a kennel of dogs and walking away. <laughs> but is it, yeah, isn't it all, isn't it kind of cyclical in all these ways that event- yeah. you always have to have eventually one, one of these type of guys? Yes. I think that, yes, yes. I don't know. And there are many reasons to respect this week's guest on Chapo. Uh, for future reference, this is, I believe, Chapo episode 718. Um, many reasons to respect this week's guest, even if uh, some of his uh, takes on this episode were somewhere between eyebrow raising and wildly out of pocket. Yeah. Uh, but he is someone who is, who is known and, and we are have on because we respect him for fighting a, a good fight for a long time, despite being wildly censored, actually censored by elite cultural institutions. So it would feel improprietous to censor him on our own podcast. So yeah, you gotta let the man speak for himself. I I've felt this on a much, but the stakes of the things that I do are overall, I would say much lower and especially it's usually stuff to do with music, but sometimes I feel like people have said things and I'm like, it's my, it is my impulse to not censor them, but like to make what they're saying more like palatable. Um, you know, if it's like, you know, newsletter interview or something. And then I'm like, no, if they said it, they said it. Yeah. And they clearly wanted to say it. And it's not my job to, you know, even if it's something that I don't necessarily agree with or freaks me out or whatever, think, I think it's going to get like a bad reaction. Yeah. And I think that some people like, hey, it's just like, look, if you, if you listen to the, to the app and you've heard the recording, it's hard to get a word in Angela's with this guy. And I, but I think like sometimes <laughs> people want us to like have people on. And if they say something that is one inch outside, like the accepted range of discourse there, the fantasy is for some one of the hosts to come in and be like, Hey man, that's not that. It, let me own you by, by facts and logic right. for saying an incorrect thing. But it's like, I, I mean, I don't know. We have people on because we think that they're interesting or we, there is something about them that we respect. We let them speak for themselves. We rarely fight or push back because it's not, it's not that type of show. It's not that type of show. It's not a debate me. People show. can draw their own conclusions from it. And we yeah. will, and uh, because we are in ourselves uncancelable because we are our own bosses, we can take the heat. Sure. So I don't know. Uh, I just wanted to get it off my chest because I know people are going to be are hooting and hollering. And honestly, people like that fucking post left watch guy are probably going to be taking clips from this app to like accuse us of being crypto fascists yeah. well into the next presidential administration, whoever well, it may be. That's I mean, that's all part of it, too. <laughs> there yeah. will be those people who mm-hmm. fixate. Offer them the the generosity of your spirit. Yeah, is that th- whoever that guy is? Probably, I would argue, doesn't have a whole lot maybe going on in their yes. life, his life. I don't know yes, if it's, it's a boy. I, uh, almost certainly. Yeah, reach uh, out and touch him, or ask him to touch you. Yes, maybe don't ask him to touch you. Uh, no, or alternately, uh, he can uh, he can uh, tweet into the void as much as possible, and I will simply respond with the classic. Uh, Tommy Lee Jones and the Fugitive. I don't, I don't care. care. It, yeah, that always feels good. Yes. Yeah. Um. Wow. 
What a so I mean sorry to get off topic no, here, that's, but you know it's hey, like, it's it's part of this this book it's part is, of the show it's part of the show um almost there we're at the top are we at the top of the hill or at the bottom of the hill again it's annular, we're in the middle so of the should, hill does, well does one imagine the shape of this book is like a parabola kind of where I you're mean, like arcing at the top and then coming down or is it simply a circle where every uh slope. The slope is consistent at every point because, you know, the, the arc, the, the arc is circular. It doesn't. Maybe it's like a hill, like the hill that ETA is on, but then there's also all of the, uh, dirt underneath the hill that there's like a thing, but then there's a, there's a curve, but then there's also a bunch of dirt underneath the trigonometry curve. finding the area under <gasps> a curve. Is that what that That's, is? I, forget I thought trig was just triangles. Yes. Triangle-nometry. But there is you know, something of that. Is that in calculus where you, calculus. you find the slope of yeah. the line at a certain space? But then there's also another calculation where you find the area of the curve yes. under that part. You, mm-hmm. Do you remember this? I do. I do. Yeah. It was a long time ago. But Somebody remind me what that calculation is. <laughs> a function? Maybe. Is that what the, the function was? The FX? Yeah. Yeah. That was a... Math was so. I wish someone had told me to just to lean into the the psychedelicness of it all. the The problem was I I would get too literary about math, so it would mm-hmm. be like this is the equation. I'd be like, why, <laughs> <laughs> for what? Who figured this out? You know, one of my most recurring. Everybody has recurring failing at school dreams. You know. Oh, of course. Uh, even years, decades after you graduated, my yes. one of my most recurring ones is that I am failing some kind of like college math course yeah yes that i didn't study for even though i did not take a single math course in college nor have any math requirements we had a quant we had quantitative reasoning oh yes and but you could fulfill that in a bunch of different ways i took economics so i was just doing cost benefit i think that geom the, that geography course i took filled one of my math and science yeah credits. of course that geography course was awesome geography would, of north america uh really taught me everything about the geography of North America. I had talk about my, my anxieties are shifting in an interesting way is that I've had, you know, a lot of school, school dreams. I had a, a kind of um, party anxiety dream where I was throwing a party, but I w- didn't get to enjoy it at all and was constantly putting out little fires uh, everywhere mm-hmm. um, to make the party go well. And I was like, okay, this has signified a, a, perhaps a difference in my, the way I've, I've been approaching life. Anxiety. School's out. Anxiety. Anxiety. Is there a song? No, never mind. Anxiety. I'm thinking, you know, the song Desire by you too. Yes. Anxiety. (laughs) Anxiety. (laughs) All right. We've got places to be and things to do. Yeah. In theory. Um, So reach uh, out and touch someone. Reach out and touch faith. Don't just don't just give them your money. Reach out and touch hand. Um, all right. Thank you, everybody. Join us next week for the thrilling conclusion. The thrilling conclusion. Of Infinite Cast. Again, that might be a little late next week because I would like to do the final episode from the comfort of our of our home, home as opposed to the strangeness of this Airbnb. Airbnb. Yes, it's exactly. awful. <laughs> I mean, no, it's not awful. I don't I don't mean to be a hater, but um, You know what this place is pro- it reminds me of is wherever uh Don and Fackelman were ho- were probably holed up. Uh, you know, a Yeah, like a less nice version of that. Yeah. Uh com- barely furnished Mm -hmm. everything is the most generic um all right let's go get ready for our noon appointment okay bye